Morning, everyone. So let's just take a little time to arrive more fully here with how we are, with what's present. There's this beautiful word in Pali, viveka. Viveka means to find refuge, to withdraw preoccupation, in particular in regards to the anxieties, the disappointments, the longings, the worries about the world. It's not to say we don't attend to that. We don't attend to the world. That's part of our primary part and profound part of our practice. But learning to do that from a more resourced place, a more embodied, empowered, authentic, rooted place in our being, in ourselves, in our body, and that can align and attune with the subtler guidance of the Dharma as to what is appropriate, what's responsive and needed according to time and place, rather than our idea of (laughs) what should happen. So learning to viveka, learning to to re-establish ourselves, withdrawing attention from the usual pathways of the mind that tend to, like a, a donga, as a word in, uh, actually, I can't think of the English word, but it's a word used in South Africa, which means like a path when the rains come, it forges a deep groove in the land. And so every time when the rains come, they, f- they go down that and deepen that groove. So in the same way, in the, the mind goes down the grooves that we have that are set, that are patterned. But the good news is those grooves can be changed. As we know also from neuroscience, neuropsychology, plasticity of the brain. So to learn to withdraw from those ways where the mind goes to, follows gravity almost, to the places that bring us down into the deeper patterns of fight, flight, freeze, deep primal patternings. So this focus today on samadhi is really a training, training to counteract that flow to create a different pathway, pathways, energetically, in the deep patterning. Many of those patternings are very forged pre-verbally at very young time in our life, ancestrally, epigenetically, so they have power. But the Dharma is a medicine that has power as well. And certainly this practice of samadhi, while sometimes it can sound 
very high fluting and very difficult and requires that we sit in a cave forever. <laughs> Actually, Ajahn Chah, my primary teacher, said you just need enough samadhi to read a book for liberation. So I kind of will settle at that. <laughs> but we can also cultivate it. So it's, in other words, this is doable, it's accessible. We can do this. And we, we will do it. <laughs> But first, let's resource ourselves a bit more by arriving. I mentioned yesterday, if it's helpful, I find it helpful because I have many dongas in my mind that take me not down to the ground, but somewhere really deep down <laughs> into places that are difficult to, to move out from. But I do find five deepening mindful breaths can really help to reorientate. And this is in, a, in accordance with teacher I'll mention, who was known as the Samadhi king of Thailand in his era, Ajahn Lee, uh, who, who often talked about moderating breath to help enter into this territory. So if it's helpful, on an inhalation, you can slow and deepen the breath and really feel that breath, that prana, that subtle energy of the breath with awareness as you're guiding with your attention, guiding awareness, guiding mind into following the pathway of the breath into body, connecting with body to the extent that feels comfortable. is suffusing through the body that inhalation, that awareness, and on the exhalation, you can also lengthen that if you wish. And just noticing where you're holding and softening around those places. So let's, and if you like, to help gather attention, to help ground. Mind is very flighty. Many of us, I know I do, have very deep patterns of disassociation. So training, encouraging, like a bird flying around, this attention, allowing it to land gently here, how you are with the body. So I find helpful sometimes to just count five breaths by just touching thumb to middle finger and so on. So it's also got a tangible connection, felt sense sensation. So if you want to do that, you can do that, just to explore. Otherwise, just allowing your breath, sensation of the body, to gently receive that in whatever way works for you to help you arrive more fully, meeting the ground beneath you. And remembering we're only ever doing one breath at a time, one moment at a time. So let's do this for the next 10 minutes or so, arriving, grounding, slowing down, finding ourselves, finding our body, finding the earth beneath us.
So I'd like to this morning go through and unpackage a little bit this territory of samadhi, which is a focus, one of the focuses going through the the course this week, the training. And um, I think I was a bit late sending through the texts for you, which you may have anyway been had sent out in the homework. Did any? Did you get the Anapanasati Sutta printout? You did. Oh, okay. With the five jhana factors on the back. It doesn't matter if not, and I hope. I think the first thing I'd like to say is actually approaching suttas, <laughs> because there's a certain way that they can be quite intimidating, and I know um, for me, um, well, they they kind of bring up conditioning around the way that we were conditioned around learning, um, the feeling of whether we're smart enough or not, um, and therefore accessibility. And so that is something to be aware of. And certainly for myself, in, in my conditioning and my background, I wasn't, it wasn't the sort of schooling and educational process that I went through that enabled me to easily access this, this, these kind of texts because I had a lot of conditioning to work through around not feeling they were for me or that um, I wasn't smart enough. And this was, I grew up in an extended Irish family in London in the deeply working class parents from the East End of London, which is traditionally profoundly working class. No one went beyond 16 years at school. At 16, we'd leave and get a job or apprenticeship to bring in money. Um, So that was, um, and therefore I was funneled in the appropriate schooling for that class, which there were no further educations available. And you sort of trained to be like functional in... (laughs) in whatever is needed, you know, to run the, the system, but not, not in the era that I was in, um, that there wasn't really an option to, to take that further. So I had, at a certain point, I actually did a class shift under my own steam to try and access education, higher education, which meant um, going and getting a whole number of jobs for as long as it took to get the money and trying to apply and so on. But it left a very deep kind of sankara or patterning or view about myself. And it wasn't until in my early 50s when I went to do an MA around um, mindfulness-based psychotherapy in the UK um, that a lot of that came up, you know, like I, I can't, you know, I don't know how to do this actually. I had a very, very helpful tutors. But I actually, meanwhile, I had, had already been a nun before I did that for 12 years and been practicing and training. And I realized I could actually, I, you know, I was actually really liked reading the suttas. I didn't always know what they meant, but I actually realized that, you know, so, but there was just this conditioning. And I think if that comes up for you, it's, it's you know, for some people there's a, a facility, who, you know, university education or so are used to doing text, used to studying, used to producing papers, doing a PhD and all of this, this will be very easy, fair probably. But there's a sort of certain way that we have to 
just acknowledge the kind of conditioning that we bring that comes up around these forms and to realize the suttas are, are really like, well, they're maps. They're like, you know, if you're going to go somewhere, you do a Google map. They're not the exact territory. So there's a lot of need to translate the, the basic forms of the map into the actual living territory of where we are and what we're navigating and how that applies in our experience so that, in fact, they're there to support us rather than intimidate us and funnel us, in, where we try to funnel ourselves into a prescribed outcome that might actually not be that accurate to the Dharma itself. And I was always very heartened by the Ajahn Chah himself. You know, he didn't, his education didn't go beyond 13 years of age. He was brought up in a rural farming culture and I entered the monastery very young, but you know, that he himself was more, he did study suttas, that was part of his early training, and the Vinaya and all the rest of it, Abhidharma to some extent. But his training was very much meditatively based, and it wasn't so much a methodology or a technique that he transmitted. You know, his, his, his transmission was primarily contemplation, like wise contemplation or investigation, inquiry, right view, if you like, how to meet this moment and to use it all to turn it to awakening in the Dharma and liberation. But, he, you know, he had a foundation culturally, very deep foundation in the Dharma, which many of us don't have. Some of us do. But um, so there, that, you know, that, that was, that's huge in and of itself. But to, you know, to see that these texts are also, they're like kind of dry bones, if you, if you like, that you have to sort of not... I'm actually quite a vegan, so it's probably not a great analogy for me, but anyway, you have to kind of chew on them to, to get the sustenance. <laughs> I guess the bone marrow. It doesn't quite work with carrots and cucumbers, but anyway, I think you get my idea. But, you know, you have to sort of work, work them to... And I, I did send a resource, which, which hopefully will be passed on to you, of one of the... I find uh, one of the very helpful Pali English um, dictionaries was goes back to 1921, Rhys Davis and um, William Steed. And I, why I like it is is because you can look up Pali words, and it goes into etymologies of the words, into the Vedic and Sanskrit and Brahmanic and you know and the Pali and you, and so you can just. You know, you can enter any of these texts, even if they're incomprehensible to you. And certainly many texts have been incomprehensible for me that I've lived with for decades. And then they start to, just like working with the words, contemplating the teachings, working with your practice. And then they start to become embodied and owned by you, you know, and empowered, empowering you, grounded in you, somatically, not just cognitively. I know, and and sometimes like the Heart Sutra, which is an incomprehensible text, uh, just when I understood at one moment, like, oh, this is all about going beyond all thought, of course, all cognition, and it's taking us directly into the knowing jitta, knowing heart, then it all became clear. But if you're trying to understand it from the old premise, then it's like, oh, does this, this doesn't make sense. So these are like keys, they're like, you know, we hang out with them, we, 
we, you know, they will evoke various like, oh, I can do this, I understand this, or I have no idea, you know, <laughs> and a whole range. And all of this is part of our practice. So when we come to samadhi, there's many, many texts that we can enter that door through, but I'd like to really enter it through the transmission that I received through the Forest School of Ajahn Chah, in particular, Forest Masters, and how they held this practice, because it is very, a very central pillar of the path. And in many ways, you could just translate samadhi to meditation. <laughs> you know, it, it really is that central. It is about cultivating meditative skill and the heart of the cultivation of meditative skill. So it is, it is important. You know, it has a very important place in the training of the mind, of the heart, of the body, and so on. Um, and one of the things to context it, you know, Ajahn Chah, the fruit of samadhi is manifold, but the essential fruit, if you like, is, is peace, is, is, is a taste of peace, a taste of the mind uh, released from its own reactive patterning, gen- generation of dukkha. And when that happens, the mind reveals its own nature, its primary nature, which is the taste of which is, as Ajahn Mahabua said, you know, is the nat- natural state of the jitta, the heart-mind, if you like, is peaceful. He actually went as far to say, if you want to call it nibbana, you can do so, but that's just another word. <laughs> you know? It's more the taste, you know. You know, I mean, this is the way Ajahn Chah teach. Someone say, "What what is nibbana?" And he would say, "Well, what is a banana?" You know, you say well, a banana. You know, like you know a banana, then you taste it, then you know what it is. Nibbana, you taste it, then you know what it is. You know, you can write a thesis, but can you taste? You know, you taste it. It's a direct experience of peace. So he said, the samadhi practice, obviously, one of the the core. Fruits is this taste of peace, but the taste there's two levels of peace, if you like. This is where he taught. There's the peace of samadhi, but the samadhi that is dependent on a certain conditions for that peace to be there. You remove those conditions. So it's like a stone on grass, you know, it looks like you know the hindrances are subdued, you know, everything is controlled like a retreat. No one's, well, you might be bothered, but no one's really completely getting in your face. So most of the things that come up are, the, are our own internal process. But, you know, definitely with those conditions, there's some level of peace. But if that stone is removed, then that grass grows, i.e. the hindrances, you know, so you can walk out of retreat in a moment. Someone looks at you in an off way or cuts you off in the traffic or... You get home and there's some upsetting dynamic going on, then that peace can evaporate very quickly. So yes, the cultivation of the peace of some of you know samatha really the calming meditation is a samadhi. But he, what he was aiming for, and where the Buddha was really going for, wasn't to finish there or end there, which of course was the. The, the, the primary fruit on offer at the time that he was a practitioner and an inquirer, you know, his quest, quest was, you know, what transcends death, really. 
what is unshakable, what is the liberated, you know, what is liberation from this round of suffering. So for this, you need the second piece. (laughs) And this is the piece that arises from wisdom, from wise knowing, from being able to meet at the moment of disturbance. The disturbance isn't the disturbance, you know, as you would say, the disturbance is the path. And when you understand that, already you're shifting your view into how can I get rid of all these disturbing things that are bothering me and don't fit into my worldview or disturbing my peace. How can I shift that to understanding we need these disturbances? (laughs) Uh, You know, dukkha, not understanding the nature of things or not understanding the nature of reality conditions or avicca, not seeing conditions dukkha ultimately dukkha conditions if apprehended with wise reflection conditions liberation <laughs> you know so this this is the second level of peace is is hastened and supported by the peace and the gathered the gatheredness of samatha calming jhana and so on and so on but in and of itself, if it has, if there is, if there is still dependency on the conditions internally and extent, externally to sustain that level of peace, you know, then we haven't really reached the peace of the undisturbed in the midst of disturbance. The mind in touch with the world, but not being overwhelmed or disturbed, able to in, instead be resourced enough to respond proactively to transform the nature of world, if you like, whatever world is, you know, the moment and the way that it, we apprehended and experience it here and now through the sensory experience, which includes mind, thinking, discerning, narratives, conditionings of the mind. But to, you know, this doesn't dismiss, and then you can go like, oh, we don't need all these trainings of samatha and so on we can just you know wisely contemplate things how they are but if you notice that our sort of wisdom can get blunt very quickly (laughs) and without any samadhi it's much more likely that really the mind will just default to its own habits its own patterning there's nothing to stem that flow there may be an idea about the practice, but the practice itself is not really being applied. So then, you know, the lack of samadhi, we tend to just be overwhelmed, anxious, pulled up into reactivity, stressed. You know, these are, there's not much samadhi in the world. I mean, you know, so when we go into the, the field of the world, we're also very activated. So, you know, definitely cultivating this part of the path is really, really helpful because there are also the benefits of increasing well-being, subduing the hindrances, subduing the reactivity of the mind so we can gain some potency and power of the mind itself that can actually work with the disturbance, not be just washed away by it. And that they, that can also sustain, actively sustain well-being. This is, this is a part of the cultivation. 
as going into, I mentioned the word samadhi as healing. This is a, a transmission from Ajahn Sujito, who's a very fine and profound teacher in this territory. You can listen to him around the Anapanasati, working with breath and body. Very, very profound, very decentralizing out of a sort of hierarchy of attainment, really, around this territory into a very source-orientated, receptive, deeply yin, if you like, way of accessing this territory. And he calls samadhi as a primary practice for healing. Just this deep, or maybe deep is also, I mean, it kind of sounds like we have to do something else, like we go deep, (laughs) Imminent is probably the imminence, the imminence already of the luminosity of mind, awareness. I'm talking about mind is in its nature as awareness. Bring that into touch, the nature of the flow of conditioning, that it has within it its own healing intelligence. So samadhi is really this gathering, the gathering of the power of awareness. So the mind is usually diffracted and deflected into the 10,000 concerns, you know, this way, that way, reactive, whatever's touching it. So the stilling, the stilling, the holding, if you like, the outpost, I mean, this is just my way of speaking. I'm not trying to justify this through the technical understanding of mind, which is a big territory and awareness, but in a way that the training of attention is like, it's like, it's not, it is a part of awareness. It's almost like the interface between the movement of all things, the sensory experience, world, whatever we want to call the flow of conditioning, the flow of the arising nature of how things are, the interface of that with the training of attention. Where attention is where if attention starts to steady within a point, within that flow, and the Buddha teaches the foundational point of the body, body breath. And gradually awareness, the mind, if you like, the mind's natural state, it will start to gather naturally. It will start to focalize, it will start to embody, it will start to deepen. And that quality of present awareness, when mixed with the flow of whatever's arising, will in and of itself, without us necessarily doing it, <laughs> it, will, it will unify, it will heal, it will resolve, it will illuminate, it will, because this is the nature of awareness, it will integrate. So this is all within the realm of samadhi. This is the nature of samadhi. These are the benefits. The and a mind in samadhi, if you like, mind, I just don't want to divorce mind from body. Mind is body in many ways. Body is mind in many ways. Both are so deeply, and feeling tone. These, in a way, these three samadhi, we're working with these three flows of our, the three streams, if you like, the kaya sankara, kaya, the Kaya's body, body sankara, the patternings of the body. 
the vajji sankara vajji is, is connected with the word speech but it's in this in this way is like like the mental body if you like thinking narrative perception memory this is the flow and the um Ah, jitta-sankara. Jitta-sankara is, in this way, jitta is like more feeling tone. You know, the jitta, the mind, if you like, is very sensitive. At its, at its core is the sort of core feeling of amness, beingness. It's what touches what, and when touched, it's experienced as very intimate, intimate experience of feeling feeling it is a communication if you like we we feel the world we think the world but we feel the world <laughs> perhaps we primarily feel it more than what stays often is what's felt so this is a flow of information it's a flow of when purified from the reactivity and the distortions of projection then feeling nature in and of itself is a very accurate source it's a source like it's it's, it's intuitive source of information, and often it that f- source flows more profoundly in in connects more accurately with the nature of how it is, tending to more so than when we receive information cognitively, which will be distorted through the tendency to separate out to subject object you know like i'm thinking about you i'm thinking about you i might have words for you but i don't really still really know you i'm thinking about myself never mind you 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 know who i am and i have all these descriptions but it doesn't mean to say i really know <laughs> so when we go to this deeper level of the jitta sankara it's a direct it's in the meditation this is the territory of samadhi and as the awareness strengthens and you bring that awareness to touch that gathered mind if you like that gathered jitta and the potency and you bring that to contact into contact internally externally which is the sphere of our sati in the you know mindfulness the first foundation in all of the foundation externally externally which of course is a ultimately false boundary but still it is a boundary then that mind will illuminate so in a way the, the, the finest fruit of samadhi is the mind gathered the jitta gathered rooted in awareness will see the way things are it will directly and it's the seeing is not just visual seeing obviously or mind seeing it's knowing deep knowing which is connected with the feeling the buddhic knowing is to know and feel and see deeply the nature of how things actually are, what actually is. And, and they're revelatory. So it implies this vidya is, is a Pali word, often vidya, vipassana, to see into, but it actually implies in the root and etymology of that word, it implies almost like a shamanic revelation, deep knowing wisdom. You're seeing beyond the, the veils, if you like. And that is that potency of that ability to see in that way, to know in that way, is directly connected with the training in samadhi. Samadhi definitely increases that potency and that potential. 
And so, yes, there can be, you know, there are what they call supramundane knowledges that arise from that. Um, you know, to see into the nature of karma, past lives, minds of others, su- su- sense extrasensory experience all of these things but the buddha wasn't so focused on that but they are more like a side effect but just to name that territory but the you know the buddha was focused on that seeing for liberation from the hindrances from dukkha you know this is the true prize if you like this is the true territory because also without that samadhi can also if you're not really liberated and if you prematurely bypass and go for transcendence without doing the internal work, the deep work of healing deep wounds, of releasing and transforming not just the five classical hindrances, that's the main territory where they come in many shapes and forms, then what can also happen is that samadhi can energize your shadow, the shadow and so then you get, you get the phenomena of very brilliant, often, practitioners that perhaps very quickly promote themselves as teachers and put their flag there. <laughs> and maybe even manifesting some of these uh, cities, some of these powers, and can really enchant in, in people. But at the same time, if they're not really removing the hindrances and doing, continuing to do that work at that deep level, that samadhi can also inflate and empower and potentize those, those energies. But they have nowhere to put them, ultimately, so they start to project out. So then you see things can go very wrong, and there can be abuse. And you know, there are many, actually, case studies of this <laughs> In our era, you know, we don't have to just look at maybe um, who was the guy that was Siddhartha's cousin that went off. Devadatta was, you know, brilliant. But apparently, I'm sure if we met him, we go, wow, you know, very purist, you know, very eloquent, had a lot of cities, half, you know, took away half of the Buddha's order, split the order, and so on and so on. He didn't land up in a good place because in the end, he hadn't worked out his jealousy of the Buddha. <laughs> he hadn't worked out his hindrance. So then in the end, he tried to kill the Buddha. You know, that's not, it was one of those karmas that's very hard to walk back from. There are, most, karmas you, <laughs> most karmas you can, you know, transmute, you know, but there's some that are like, yeah, just don't, let's just not do that, you know. <laughs> So, uh, so this this is just this just this is this working knowledge we should have as practitioners. You know, we should be able to identify this, and hopefully, the in the collective knowledge of seeing this, we can identify this more quickly, and, and ourselves how we can get deluded in these spaces. In fact, in the Mahayana, the Shurangama Sutra. Um, which is an interesting sutra. It focuses on the, the meditation method of Kuan Yin Bodhisattva, Avalokiteshvara, and highlights that. Um, and it's the foundational sutra of Zen and Chan, which is about turning the mind back into its own nature, the most subtle aspect of the practice. Shurangama means the, it means when that is realized, then it's the, it means durable. It means the ultimate samadhi, the ultimate samadhi, 
is the liberation of the unshakable heart, the unshakable liberation of heart. It's the direct knowing. But in that sutta, it lays out what they call, I think it's 52 demon skanda states, which is about all the things that can go wrong when actually there are some spiritual attainments around this area of samadhi, but there isn't the deeper work of transformation and purification of the hindrances. (laughs) So it's a warning. It's a warning as well. So anyway, that's a whole other path. We won't go there now, but just to, to, to look at these benefits, to look at the pitfalls in all of these practices, to look at the, the, the provisional samadhi, if you like, the cultivation of calm, tranquility, subduing the hindrances as very, very critical, the de- development of jhana as an access way into illumination, but the absolutely necessary task for using this if you like, skill and power to uproot the hindrances, to continue along the way, to realize and turn the mind back ultimately into its own nature uh, so that we can understand and taste the liberation, the inherent imminence of the already liberated heart, actually. So... Just take a breath there, because we might be now ready to tackle the sutta. <laughs> but I just want to actually just pick out a few bare bones, because otherwise we'll just it will we'll just get a bit weighted down. Um, the Anapanasati sutta, well, the core of it is just a page, so it's not too too onerous. Um, the sixteen steps and. And again, to try and see this like as a hologram rather than like I'm going to do one and then two and then three. Yes, there is that development of the practice, but also they're 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 kind of kind of co-emerging as well. Um, and then supported by these factors or these trainings of attention, we call the five jhana factors. Uh, particularly the first four that support this practice. So these are very core. There are many ways into this this territory of samadhi, but these 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 are two core texts that we can or two practices. One core text and one core practice template. Yeah, Ajahn Lee, who I just mentioned, Ajahn Lee Damadaro, who was known, or maybe Damadara, I think Damadaro. He was actually the teacher of Tanisaro Bhikkhu, who's known as being a prolific translator of the suttas, who was known as the one that was the most accomplished. I, I don't know about the most, but very accomplished in the realm of samadhi. He talked, he gave a very helpful analogy for this training. He said, if you look at the one of the, the very core formulas for the path, sila samadhi panya, you know the development sila samadhi panya, ethics, precepts, samadhi meditation panya, wisdom, insight, inquiry. Um, he said it's like a bridge. You're building a bridge, just as an analogy, from one shore to the next over a very fast-moving river. That river being an analogy for the currents of the mind, and in a certain way. 
as an engineer, I imagine, not that I am, but to, to ground a pillar in the near bank, the ethics, the training of ethics, to ground the pillar in the far bank inside. You, you know, both of those are not easy, but they're doable and easier than plunging a pillar down through a fast-moving river. So this middle part, you know, the you know we can we can see you know we can see change, we can let go, we can see dukkha, you know, those things. To see them profoundly, to see the engine of sangsara, to see what's actually generating, that's a bit more subtle. This dukkha, but you know we can practice ethics. But this this middle, so we're going against the currents of the mind. You know, this is it. The, the samadhi training. So there will be some friction there. There will be some practice point there. But we can approach that in a way that really lessens the war zone that can be set up. <laughs> when we, you know, like where everything that's coming, we're going to like try and push it away because it's disturbing my peace, you know, especially the internal thoughts. So... Before we even go into these 16 steps, um, just to go to the very first support for calming, peace, it's called the first jhana factor. This is really about directing attention. You know, it's viveka, which I mentioned, withdrawing attention from those currents. But where do we there put attention? Well, you know, the first foundation, we put body, breath. But how do we do that? So Viveka is like bringing an inquiry, bringing a question, bringing using thought to direct thought, if you like. So the skillful use of thought. So often when people are going to this territory, and I've heard it like a million times as a, in, you know, leading meditation retreats, a million times, and I hear it in my own mind, I can't do this because I'm thinking too much. <laughs> so we set up a battle as if all thoughts... I mean, it really is quite a subtle level of jhana or focusing or gatheredness for thoughts to subside, you know, or for them to subside for a while. That's usually, for most of us, that's not the territory we're in. We're going to be working with the thinking mind and the current of thought. So rather than pick up a conscious thought to direct, to direct attention where it needs to go, so this vitaka vichara, these first two factors of training are about that. They're about beginning to viveka, to guide. So thought form like, usually it's a, it can be a directive thought. Usually that's how it's taught. You can use a word, like a mantra, like we use Ajahn Chah taught as buddho. That's a vitaka thought. Buddho is the mantric form of Buddha. You can do with the breath, buddha. Oh, I like to do that. Or you can just do butho, butho. You can pick any mantra, any word, any phrase. Guan yin, peacefully breathing in, peacefully breathing out. This is vitaka, this is a thought form. You can explore what works for you. Or coming back, coming, inviting, inviting, coming back to the body and breath. But one that I really like because it's more inviting than directive. And the mind often responds better to an invitation than to a directive. 
if you've noticed. <laughs> so it, it's it's uh, it's used. It, it was one of the primary questions in the core process psychotherapy uh, that I trained in, working with a client. And it's very, very helpful in meditation because we're kind of working with kind of the mind's like our client, really. <laughs> like, you know, comes in all crazy and, you know, and you're like, okay, you know, let's just find our body here, you know. <laughs> it's not that bad, I promise you, you know. You know, I mean, one of the really lovely things about that, that training I appreciate is that you, you hone to the, 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 you know, I think this is a Trogram Trumpa, slightly controversial and complex character in the Buddhist scene. But anyway, his, like, his, his, he was also brilliant. He called the brilliant sanity, uh, the, 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 the core nature of the heart, the core nature of the mind, as brilliant sanity. So you would want to track that and hold faith to that in the client, however, whatever they turned up with. And in a certain way, being the client ourselves, we hold faith to that core <laughs> whatever's going, whatever patterning, whatever's going down. So the, the vitaka for that, you know, without going into a place of resistance and defendedness against the swirl and the overwhelm, and, the, and the, this question, this inquiry that really carried through is this question, how is this now? How is this what's present now? How, how is it now? How is it now? What am I present with? What's present here? So this is an invitation which is much more grounded in metta, in piti sukha. These, these are all connected with this, this, this training of these currents of the mind. You know, the training of calming the body with anapana, which we look at just now, in-breath, out-breath. Training of the vajjisankara, the flow of the mental Thought forms is through directing attention using a thought form. And the training of the jitta to calm the jitta, the feeling tone, is metta, kindness, spaciousness, softening, allowing. So before going in with a sort of pickaxe concentration and setting up a war zone, taking time to settle and really like, how is this now? without losing the fact that you're centralizing into awareness, embodied awareness. You know, so how is it now? And you're listening to all these, yeah, there's this, there's that, and I f- it feels awful, and I can't do this, and yes, and there's that, and my pattern's been, ex- you know, so yeah. So you just, and as you're listening, how is it now? As you're listening, you're beginning to enhance in this, these first tetrad, these first four areas, the Anapanasati Sutta, you're beginning to apply the medicine. This is breathing, breathing in long, breathing in short, breathing Sabakaya Pati Sangwede. I want to unpackage that term, it's very important, being with the body, and then calming the body. So, this is the first tetrad. So, this is the samadhi, like just moving into this territory. How is it now? What's present now? or calmly breathing in, calmly breathing out, or butho, or picking up a thought, for, a thought form. You know, so that you're not just picking up a thought form and starting to mix it with the training of 
you can maybe connect it with you know, how is it now, what's present for me now. It's metta, calming, softening, opening, taking your time, breathing. And then gradually, it's like you're breathing through or you're holding and suffusing through what's now rather than like, just get, like, get out of here, you know. And so you're allowing all of these, be- they're like these distraught beings of your own nature. You're allowing them to be gathered in so they become allies rather than, you know, enemies that are disturbing you. You're like giving, so that, that in itself, we could, you know, that can take, you know, that, that's, that's a big part of the practice. But it, you know, so there's this patience, it implies being patient, allowing, taking the time for things to settle. And then, you know, I, I like to start with these long, deliberate breaths, because I, I, my mind's, I have a, I have a very, my mind's very porous, so things flood from my internal process. From my, I mean, I feel very activated a lot of the time <laughs> if I'm not actually gathering myself. <laughs> you know, and it, there's a lot of dukkha that just floods. So, so but I you know, just do the five deepening breaths, and I can feel my nervous system recalibrating very quickly. It's just slightly more oxygenating the body brain by deepening the breath it starts to really it's very effective so I'm really glad that we have a model and a and a template for that Ajahn Chah himself would say if you're feeling upset take some deep breaths Ajahn Lee a lot of his teaching was around moderating breath to to move towards comfort to move towards this territory And then moving, you know, deepening into this kaya, this bodied, embodied experience. This is so huge. This this third training in the first tetra, the first steps of the four tetras. It often we have in concentration. Sorry, I I, I know this is a lot. We will take a break shortly. I, you know, often we we have um, this sort of idea of observing the breath. So we set up this observer person. I mean, I don't know who that is sometimes, <laughs> but they kind of become this big authority. You know, they take, they sit on the throne and they start kind of judging and directing operations. You know, and 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 there's this subtle way or not so subtle that we don't meet expectations. And often that observer has had all sorts of ideas of what you know, what we're trying to attain here. So I think that has to be, it's not that it's not bad, there is a place, you know, that, that is a step, in, stepping stone, if you like. But there's also a place where there's like a deconstruction of that primacy of the one that tends to take that seat. So this sabakaya, sabha means the whole body, and this sang, uh, pati sang, pati means through, like sang together, and vedi means feel. So it's sort of like whole together, whole body, feel with, something like that. 
that actually is the literal translation of this training at, that, at this step. So as we enter breath and embody, it's, it's encouraging not to just coolly like be an outsider observing, but to enter deeply the territory of the body. And in samadhi, when we enter the territory of the body, the body ne- doesn't necessarily conform with the visual image we have of the body, or even our the shape, you know, like the body in samadhi can feel big, it can feel like small, it can f- disappear, it can feel heavy, heavy in a good way, like really like a stone, like solid, but grounded, it, it can feel bound, you know, it's the internal experience, you're beginning to experience the energetic body, if you like, but it's deeply rooted in the physicality of the body. So Ajahn Lee would always teach in jhana, keep the body around. You know, always don't desert the body. You know, and there is, we have in the culture that we're in, there's very deep ways that we're split away from the body through trauma, through erroneous religious teachings around sexuality and embodiment and fear. And there's just so much. It's so loaded. So this is a gen- this why it has to be very gentle, because we're reclaiming we're reclaiming our body really internally at a very deep level. And then we have all our own judgments that project. So all of that is, you know, we're just, these are the beings, these are the conditionings we're scoping in, we're knowing, we're know, when you know awareness, like I, I know, yes, I know, I hear you. I'm not going to let you shape me and dictate, dictate terms, but I'm also not pushing you out. I'm including you in this voice, this feeling, this putting down thing and then we continue with applying the medicine sabakaya patisangwari to feel with to enter more deeply and directly feel the sensation of breath in whatever way in Ajahn Sujito he's interesting translation there are many on all of these territories he talks about the long breath being where you decide to follow and track the whole of that breath which is, which is a beautiful, I mean, we could almost just, maybe we'll just stop here, because this is almost like so profound when we start, you know, you're just tracking that whole movement of the breath and the sensation deepening into that. And, and so this is, this is where the mind actually likes a task. So when you give the mind a task and it can do it and it's not being berated, and there's a gentle support, and there's metta and kindness and patience there. It will engage, and it will help to diffuse and settle all of the extraneous anxieties and fears and worries and disassociation. So you can follow. So and then Ajahn Sujito talks about the, the short breath as where maybe that starts to feel a bit coarse, following the in, and then the tension might just settle. I mean, the breath body is sensation as well. It's not the breath is sense. It is not only like the movement. Vayodhatu is vibratory. We're talking about the vibratory experience, really. Breath is subtle. But sensation is a coarser, coarser frequency. 
So sensation, you're also with breath when you're with sensation. It's not apart from the breath body. So but you might decide to focus and be drawn to focus into one particular... I mean, there's designated areas that are in the technique-orientated approach, you know, which are useful. Ajahn Chah loved to practice just at the, under the nostril, which is where I first taught in the Burmese style. And if there's a lot going on that you can't... Sometimes just settling here with very neutral sensation, top of the lip, that can, that's can, you know, all I can manage is that, you know, which is quite significant in and of itself. Sometimes a belly or here or there. There's actually nowhere in the suttas that says a particular spot that, you know, but, it, you know, these are methods that can be useful and helpful, but we might just find ourselves drawn ourselves. And then that might move, you know, like this. I notice there's a discomfort and I can take extra tension into the body here, into a wound, into a emotional pain, into a, an area of damage. Just settle. Kitty Sara, who's my partner, many of you mess, met him, and he's a profound teacher in this area too, uh, as well, in, 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 in the same way as Ajahn Sajito is. But he has had, he had a lifetime that started as um, getting very ill as a monastic in northeast Thailand with, with typhus and typhoid and a bunch of other things that he never really recovered from. And he, he used to work and would feel, has worked for decades with trying to sustain... His energy bleeds out very quickly. Body can't really hold a lot of energy and gets very depleted and doesn't feel very good a lot of the time. This practice of just pati, uh, sabakaya pati way, being within body, just laying down, a lot of laying down, just really feeling deeply direct awareness to sensation, you know, removing the cognitive narrative, <laughs> just deeply feeling it has been a lifesaver and, and very... So he'll frequently, every day, he'll just take... He, you know, and he's gotten very good at it, so in a, in a short while he can rejuvenate just through this, this practice. So this is, again, a dimension of healing around this practice. You know, so it's very, it's very unifying healing. And then it goes on, as it does in the first foundation, calming. So soothing, calming, the kaya... Viveka, the kaya, the kaya sankara, the, the patternings within the body. The second sphere, or the second tetrad, and I'll just go through these. We'll go, we'll go to a quarter past ten, and then we'll have a break. So that's about ten, just, just over ten minutes. And I'm just going to touch on these bare bones. And then we can open it up. I, I don't think I can get to all the territory without completely overwhelming you. It's just so exciting, actually. I love doing this, going into... I, I just think this is such an incredible... trend. You know, we've just got these incredible practices. I mean, I just think, well, the, here's the Buddha, like, two and a half thousand years ago in the Ganges Plain of, the, of India, you know, like, exploring the depths of consciousness and these you know, and these disciples and this transmission. And, you know, what were we doing in Europe at that time? Like hitting people over the head with bricks or something. I don't know what we were doing. But it's like, you know, here, this incredible... And it was so open-handed and figuring out 
how to like send this to this moment in time and here we are sitting looking at these so that's the power of the suttas you know and it's for us to you know to unpackage them and this is this is a gift this is a gift to each of us there's no one not worthy of this gift in all out of all beings <laughs> you know so anyway so yeah, so the second tetrad is around uh, the 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 and the third tetrad are really about this whole practice of the body. The body, as the body, you know, the body, the mind, as you employ the mind, engaging in service of this practice, the mind enjoy. The mind really finds relief to start to study and connect with our embodied experience. It starts to feel home. You know, so often it's this poor orphan that we're just shellacking along in some way or another. So it starts to feel home. And I know it's not our permanent home, but it's, it's, it's our earth home here, you know. So, and, and actually at the same time, the luminosity, the, the basic nature of mind is luminous. It's, it illuminates. We we're, it's illuminating this moment, you know. It's, <laughs> it starts to illuminate and suffuse its own awareness through the body, which is very blissful. So this second and third tetrads are about really honing this ease and upliftment and metta and suffusing that through the mental activity. And beginning to allow, you know, the mental, the subtler forms of mental activity, you know, through the illumination of, of mental activity, starts to dissolve the more coarser forms. So the mind, the mind in samadhi, another, another aspect that each of the senses become very refined, and so the thinking mind, instead of just clonking along, it starts to become a a sort of very subtle, intuitive, luminous thought forms, creative thought forms, if you like. So the, the, it's not the thinking, it's just that it's, it's, thinking isn't the enemy, it's just, it's, it's just not suffused with this luminosity of, of the mind and awareness, and then it can, becomes a tool that, that then it becomes a medium for, for revelation, so this this illuminating, calming, calming and subduing the course of mental activity, and experiencing, and then beginning to experience, gladden, uplift, and then focusing. This is then the 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 the, uh, the concentration, the focusing, if you like, the liberating. So this is all beginning to move in that direction, and then. The last tetrad, this training, tra- and all the way through, the training starts, I shall breathe in and out, contemplating, I shall breathe in and out, experiencing, I shall breathe in and out, understanding. So the breathing in and out, the anapana sati, is there the whole time. The body, you know, rooted in the body. And then moving towards the end, this is this is the so this Anapanasati Sutta, the power of it is it basically moves from samadhi into inquiry, into 
contemplation into Dhamma-vijaya, this investigation of Dhammas. Dhammas literally meaning thing, thing, you know, there's the big Dharma, the Dharma, and then Dhammas, like with a small d, literally means that which is brought together, or things, the things of thingness, the thingness of it all. Contemplating, what is this, actually? What is this nature of this moment, really? What is the nature of what's appeared? And this curiosity, this investigation is, is very blissful. It's like, wow, you know, we're, we're like explorers of the cosmos at this point. You know, and here we're, we're given a lens to look through that helps, you know, firstly, of course, and Nichang, and Nichang, you know, not only is impermanence happening externally, but internally at that level, you can't even say there's something. I, I, this is why I don't, the word emptiness doesn't work for me. Whenever I say, what about emptiness? I know that's the translation, because emptiness isn't empty. <laughs> you know, Master Wa says, is one of our very um, revered lineage transmitters uh, of the Kuan Yin Dharmas of very, some of these very deep, subtle aspects of the Dharma. It's been very meaningful to Kirisara. And I, uh, Master Wa says, emptiness doesn't exist. Empty isn't empty because of wonderful existence. Wonderful existence doesn't exist because of emptiness. Therefore, emptiness isn't empty and wonderful existence doesn't exist. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, impermanence is also, it's, it's, it's seeing at this most subtle level, this, everything is like a frequency, everything is vibratory, everything is like, it is insubstantial, you could say, but it's not that it isn't, there isn't. The, the building blocks of form, you know, of conscious, some, and so, but seeing that, seeing that the mind moving to viraga is another beautiful word for dispassion. Why cling? Why hold? Why hold? And this is where we're moving now to the immovable, if you like, the undying taste of the deep samadhi through clear seeing, through liberation. Dispassion, releasing the grasp, the grasping mind, releasing cessation, niroda, sort of literally means without walls. It's sort of, roda has this sense of imprisonment, like outside of the walls of the mind, if you like, releasing from all description, all cognitive framing that doesn't bind anymore. And then the last, the 16th step, sorry, this is like high speed, but just, places that are so beautiful, patinisaka, patinisaka is this term, it's not just releasing, it's often translated letting go, but it literally means to hand back. It's like giving back to nature, giving back to dark, giving it all back, <laughs> never belong to us anyway. So this relinquishment, giving back, giving back. So it takes us to this place of release, of non-grasping and the body's breathing, things are opening. We don't need to grasp because 
why grasp a particularity when all, you know, there's a bound, boundaryless reality that we're kind of surfing. <laughs> yeah, so, and in this way, we start to discover, if you like, the deeper dimension, a deeper dimension, an imminent dimension. Because there's nowhere that's going, you know, it's not going somewhere. Of of our nature, if you like. I can't claim it, but it's still very much our nature, the nature, the Dharma. And the taste of that, as Ajahn Chah would say, you know, like the banana. <laughs> the taste of that is peace. The taste of that is peace. The Buddha said. A tang sang tang. E tang panitang, yati tang, sapa sankara, samato. Sabu padi patina sago, tanha karo virago, niro do nibanang. This is peaceful. This is sublime. Namely, the stilling of all formation, all sankara the relinquishing of all attachments, the destruction of all craving, dispassion, cessation, nibbana. So let's take some time until half past the hour, which is just a little bit over 15 minutes. You can open the space for anything you'd like to share, any inquiry, any questions. Let's just take this break in silence so we can just hold the container of this inquiry Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.